Hello, and welcome to Manga Explaining, the show where we recommend great manga to folks who haven't read much manga before. Hosted by Deb Aoki, David Brothers, Chip Zdarsky, and myself, Christopher Butcher. Follow along with our show notes and reading list at mangasplaining.com. I'm Christopher Butcher. I'm hosting this week, and it's my pick. It is Tech on Kingcrete, Black and White by Tayo Matsumoto, published by Viz Media. As I was just telling my compatriots, I have a lot of personal history and professional history with this title and with the author, Tayo Matsumoto. But I will try <laughs> to keep the personal stories to a minimum because in trying to even recommend this book to Chip in episode four in the Helter Skelter podcast, I literally talked about it for like seven minutes and didn't mention what it was about. So we're going to try and do a little better than that this time around. First up, let's talk about this book. It's Tech on Concrete. It was originally released in North America as Black and White. It's about two boys, both 11 or 12 years old, Black and White. They are clearly children, but also hyper-violent superhero ninjas <laughs> that live in a city and bounce around it from rooftop to rooftop, building to building, in ways that the Batman and the Daredevil could only dream of. I know those guys. <laughs> I bet you do, Chip. They are protectors of their city, self-appointed, self-proclaimed protectors of their city. And their city uh, gradually starts to change due to the influence of foreign forces. And they decide to fight for it tooth and nail, despite the, let's say, negative effects it might have on them physically and psychologically. It is very much an adult manga. It's a seinen manga. It ran weekly in big comic spirits beginning in 1993. And yeah, uh, it wasn't like anything else in manga at the time. It wasn't like anything else in big comic spirits for sure, but it definitely wasn't like anything else in manga at the time. It was released in English, serialized first, which is owing to its age a little bit. It was serialized starting in 1999 in Pulp Magazine, which was an anthology of adult comics that Viz was publishing, trying to broaden the reach for manga. As I hear it, they were fat on Pokemon money. So Yeah, yeah let's try a whole bunch of crazy stuff. Didn't work, but we got some real good comics out of it, actually. Uh, it was re-released in an omnibus format, and that's the format that I think we all have today, this guy <laughs> right here, 3-in-1, in 2007, to coincide with the release of the animated feature film adaptation. And the animated feature film, I mentioned it very specifically because it's an interesting book. Matsumoto's artwork, Matsumoto has said himself, he doesn't necessarily feel like a manga creator. He feels like he's very influenced by Bayday and a little bit by American comics now. So at the at the manga conventions, he's sitting next to the shonen creators or even the other seinen creators and feels like an outcast. But then when he goes to France, he's supposed to be this manga guy. And he's like, my work isn't like manga at all. So he's a really interesting guy and a really interesting creator. And uh, I think that that's a big part of the appeal for a lot of people of this book is that he's mixing different kind of genres of art and things like that. So it was a it was a natural choice to release into the North American market. And it didn't do great, honestly, in his initial editions, in the three-volume huh. special editions. But when it was re-released in this omnibus format, coinciding with the film, it actually did much better. It became much more of a critical darling, that's for sure. It actually won the Eisner Award for Best Manga in 2008. It's a really interesting situation because it had been fully, completely released in a different format before that, but then won the Eisner from the Omnibus. The movie is interesting, too, because it's the first anime to be directed by an American director. It was produced by Studio 4C, who does some really interesting um, avant-garde stuff. And yeah, Michael Arias is the director, and he was really passionate about it. It also 
has won Japan Media Arts Award. The, the movies won a lot of kudos. It's really, really interesting. So I picked it because it's basically one of my favorite manga of all time, if not my favorite manga of all time. And I wanted to, I just wanted to talk about it. If Chip doesn't like it, it'll be the end of our friendship, which is going to be rough. <laughs> uh, but, you know, oh. I'll, I'll do what I can. Yeah. And I do want to say that this book was just released digitally for the first time, even though it had been in print for, you know, 15 years, actually, maybe, maybe, oh my God, 2000 was, was 20 years ago, over, over two decades, the digital edition just came out in November. The print edition is between printings right this second, but I think is going to get reprinted again this spring, if not this summer, because it's, it's a perennial, it's going to stay in print. Yeah, so you have no excuse. You can go pick it up either before you read this podcast or after. Hopefully we do a good job of selling it you on it. And with all of that said, Chip, what did you think? Yeah, no pressure. Okay. Yeah, it was okay. Huh? It was fucking um, shit. First, let me just say it, it was very confusing at first because I don't know if it's just this digital version, mm. but the, the, um, the pages still moved right to left flipping them but but it but each individual page read left to right oh wow like that's the animation in the ebook was the wrong direction yeah so yeah, it, this is so actually it, it kind of messed me manga. up a little bit this is a flipped manga and they should not that shouldn't be reading in that direction it's someone on the digital team maybe needs to fix the reading order on that particular title if anyone from viz is listening or is <laughs> yeah. wearing a viz t-shirt right now maybe that person could p- pass a word up the chain Oof, i should have talked about this uh, uh off the air <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so it was, it was it took me a little bit because like i still had to flip the pages the way i've been doing it with the other manga but um i actually read the first like 10 15 pages just entirely out of order <gasps> and I'm, i was just like i was like oh man chris what are you doing to me <laughs> like I, I genuinely thought like this is just some like uh like unbroachable kind of manga that i would never be able to get into uh, but then i realized i'm reading it wrong so it got a lot better after that oh, chris good. a lot better those first, those first 15 pages are so good too flying through the air beating up punks yeah, yeah, I, I I really liked it. Um, uh, the art style obviously is quite different from everything we've seen before, but also like everything's been really distinct. Even though this felt like more distinct, like it, I w- I wouldn't have read it as being from Japan. I think I would have read it as being European because hmm. there's definitely kind of a weird. There's some there's some Mobius in there, but there's also some Simon Bisley stuff happening. <laughs> yeah, just really weird, and uh, it reminded me a lot too of you know Seth Fisher. Okay, yeah, I thought yeah. it reminded me of Julie Doucet. Yeah, oh, yeah, I can absolutely see that. Yeah, Corey Lewis. Like, there's like there's a lot going on here, but 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 uh, beyond all that, it was drawn by somebody who loves to draw. Like, like you don't often get that in, in, uh, comics as weird as it is to say, like I would say half the manga that we've covered has been drawn by people who don't necessarily love to draw. Like they're trying to get the, they're trying to tell the story. They're trying to get the point across. They're like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll fudge this. We'll get to this later. But like, sometimes there's a passion for telling the story, but not necessarily a passion for drawing. And this first and foremost is about drawing. Mm. 
like the story the story does feel a little secondary but that was really refreshing like every page had kind of something unique and different on it and a, a, a different way of kind of distorting the human figure and the cityscapes and the vehicles and yeah yeah i i, I loved it i love the art like the, the story was the story was good it did what it set out to do like by the end i was really invested in black and white as characters the secondary stuff was interesting but like Obviously, they're the focus. It got maybe a little too weird at the end for me. I liked how weird it was, but I hear you. I hear you. It's it, it's weird, but like, and it's beautiful. So I kind of like I kind of forgive the weirdness a little bit. But I'm so invested in those characters. I kind of I thought the weirdness kind of took away from their relationship maybe a bit too much by the end. Mm. But that's really kind of my only like kind of negative thing to say about it. Like, do you think it made them less special, their relationship? Like, by introducing, like, a supernatural or unnatural? Yeah, element? like, the, the dreamscape stuff. And, you know, I, I did like the fact that Black was fighting this kind of alter ego darkness within him. But it got, I think it just got a little bit too trippy as a result. Hmm. I mean, maybe if it was kind of a bit more heavy into that at the beginning i would maybe buy into it a bit more at the end there was, what was it there was another manga we we kind of had the same thing no the twin peaks with helter skelter yeah the oh. yeah the twin peaks stuff with helter skelter exactly another chris pick so <laughs> there's something there's something to it there where it's like it's cool on its own but as kind of the climax of the story it doesn't ring as true. Mm, but that all could have happened entirely inside of White's head. There's a scene at the end of the book where White and the Minotaur, spoilers, I guess, or not White, uh, Black and the Minotaur are leaping over the city and they're having a conversation. And then it cuts for just one panel and shows the point of view of the people on the street who are seeing them leaping and only Black is there. Uh, so it's really clear that whatever's going on with Black, with the Minotaur, with this like violence that's inside of him to me it was always clear that it was in his head uh he was imagining it all in the same way that white was imagining all the stuff that white could see or that you would cut away to these panels of like white in a garden or like some of the some of the animal stuff was really weird not just like there there are seals on the ground sometimes i felt like it was i felt like it was both of the both the kids are crazy in different ways Mm -hmm. and you think only white is crazy maybe at the beginning and it sort of gla- gradually reveals that they're both dealing with the trauma of their world in different ways. Black getting progressively more violent and hard and pulling this, this darkness from inside of him. And then white pulling this light uh, and counterbalancing. It's very, you know, philosophical. Yeah. And there's clearly, there's clearly stuff in black's head because black is carrying around a stuffed version of white and imagining it was white at the end there. Yeah. But also like they kind of have it both ways then because if the rest of the story played out with just these kids kind of running around causing havoc and stuff, and then it kind of went into this thing happening in his head, then, then it would buy that it was just in his head, but they introduced like the, the killers are kind of like kind of weirdly supernatural. The fact that these characters are flying through the air and stuff like as a whole other level to it. Mm. So yeah, anyways, I but we're getting a little too deep into it before finding out what other people think. Yeah, I was going to say, I want to come back to that because there's a couple things there about reality in the book that are good. But uh, so Deb, you are again this week 
quoted on the Wikipedia page as having reviewed this title. You are famous manga critic DebElkeyAbout.com. One day that'll be me. So I already know what you think of it, but maybe what did you think about it, of it on rereading? What did you uh, what did you what did you think about it, or, or what did you think about it the first time you encountered it too? When I first encountered it um, in pulp, for example, mm. I found it to be a very hard read. It was actually the the series I got the least. Like I didn't quite get what's going on. Um, mm. It's hard to read serialized because it's like these moments in time, and you don't understand how these pieces all fit together. But when you sit down and read it all end to end it makes more sense and it's a little easier to, to take in mm. the arts, the arts incredible. <laughs> it's I mean, the, the, the perspective is nuts. <laughs> the, <laughs> and then the vibe is really interesting because some people sell this as like, Oh, these kids are in this dystopian future world. And it's like, no, no, this is Osaka. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, all the stuff on the cover, all these references to Showa-type gangsters, and um, you can see it all over. It kind of refers to this world of um, urban like urban decay that's in like the 80s, yeah. 70s or 80s, you know? It just looks weird and dy- dystopian because of the way he draws cities. It just looks, looks like no city you've ever seen. Yeah. But it is not a futuristic kids in a dystopia story. <laughs> I, uh, I guess you know, like upon rereading it, I I could, I um, and you know, having other things to refer to and think about, I think, oh yeah, this is like Fight Club a little bit, huh? <laughs> mm. You know, or like um, other other stories about you know kids, um, being alone in the world and trying to make their way. So, mm. other Matsumoto stories about kids being alone in the world yes. and trying to make their <laughs> There's way. Quite a few. I would say I prefer Gogo Monster to Tekken mm. Concrete, honestly. I oh. think it's a much more complete and satisfying work, but you know the pure energy of of Tech on Concrete is enjoyable and fun to read. So what what's Gogo Monster? Ooh, you have to explain that one, Chris. I don't want to spoil it. So Gogo just a, Monster, just a short summation, Chris. You know that's my that's my expertise is short summations of Taiwan Matsumoto <laughs> works. <laughs> Gogo Monster is the book that Taiwan Matsumoto did. Two after Tech on King Creed. It's about two boys, again, as was the book in between, which is called Ping Pong, which I've got on the shelf here. And it's also about two boys that represent a sort of dichotomy. And in black and white, it's the sort of dark and the light, obviously. In in Ping Pong, it's about two boys, Star and Moon is their sort of symbols. You can sort of see it on the covers. One is a boy that really um, is really passionate about stuff but not very good and gets discouraged easily and the other one is about the other boy is like extremely good at something but not passionate about it all only doing it perfunctory doesn't feel like he's connected to life but then you get to gogo monster and you've got that dichotomy a third time and he's playing with this theme of like of these two halves of the self and with gogo monster it's about a boy who is just an average kid in school who ends up becoming sort of frenemies with a boy who can see monsters and he sees monsters everywhere all over the school. And the school is creepy as fuck. Like there's the whole third floor they don't use because of Japan's declining birth rate. And he's the whole story is predicated on is this other kid crazy? Cause he appears crazy or are these monsters real? Can he see it? 
are the monsters a metaphor? Are they not? And it's themes that he's been, you know, working on since Tech on King Crate. And I think that that's Gogo Monster is a fantastic work, really, really good. Uh, I like Tech on better because it's younger. Matsumoto probably would have been in his twenties when he was serializing this, which is, I think, a big. Actually, would have been, yeah, maybe twenty five when he started. It's not technically his first first work, but like he has that youthful energy. And by the time you get to Gogo Monster, you can still see like he refines his style in Ping Pong, and then Gogo Monster is stylistically very very different so that's okay that's the quick explanation the quick okay, i'm gonna give you i'm gonna give you a c plus on answering my question <laughs> what is google monster uh david what did you think of this book <laughs> uh it's funny that chris explained gogo monster so beautifully because that's the one that was my first matsumoto and i bounced off it super hard oh um, wow actually i got curious and because i write about comics on the internet i can google my opinions from the past <laughs> Usually a terrible idea. Oh, uh, David, don't. <laughs> and there are two different posts where I'm like, I'm really looking forward to reading Gogo Monster. Like the design is really cool. And then I never mentioned it again. And that was 2009. <laughs> <laughs> and Hi. I don't quite remember, but I'm pretty sure that I tried it and like it just didn't take. Like I couldn't grasp the storytelling, the art, or anything like that. Hmm. I did like the Tech on Concrete anime, though. And this is my first time reading the book. And oh. I'm glad that Chip said it was done by someone who loves drawing. Because I got the same feeling, very much the same kind of thing as like Usagi Yojimbo or like some of the early Sin City stuff where it's mm-hmm. like, oh, I can do whatever I want. Yeah, and that's like yeah. such a good vibe for a comic. I think it's also by someone who loves comics. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, there's a lot of it's... Mobius in this. You mentioned like Arzak designs show up at one point at the end there. Yeah. Um, when those two guys uh, come back to fight Black. But it's such a weird looking book. And I think that now that I'm older, I'm more into this kind of style mm-hmm. where it's uh, grotesque in like a value neutral sense. Like it's just really weird looking and off perspective, off proportion. Mm-hmm. But it makes it feel like a movie from another dimension to me. Like all the characters <laughs> look like someone that you would see in a movie, like the seedy gangster character with like the uh, the dark lips and like the eyeshadow and stuff. The two kids, mm-hmm. there's some really good drawings of kids in this. And then also some truly inhuman drawings of kids. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it shows like Matsumoto can really draw. And that's such a yeah. cool thing to see in a book like this. He's so passionate about drawing in this, in this first volume. And he's like constantly like, how can I draw this thing that I have to draw different than anyone's ever drawn it? There's so many panels that are like, he's consciously like, how can I draw this in a way that is the most exciting and the least like anything I've ever, ever seen drawn on the page before. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, it makes it feel alien. It makes it feel very alien. Yeah. Not just because the characters who may or may not be aliens show up in the book half of the way through at the end of the first, first book, first chapter, first volume. Yeah. I do think though, the story is kind of pat. Like, it's very manga. Like, this is the story of Naruto and Sasuke, of uh, Bleach and Ishida, or not Bleach, that's not his name, Ichigo and Ishida from Bleach, Mm -hmm. Um, and several others, even Kaneda and Tetsuo, in a way, the way they fit together as characters, which is Mm -hmm. that some people need, like, a good side to hang on to and protect, because otherwise, they'll kind of pour their energy into being terrible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, when Black loses himself, and, you know, he meets the Minotaur, and this thing they've kind of talked up, off and on throughout the book is him like he's the fearsome beast yeah it makes me wonder what life was like before white got there there's no um scenes of that in this book and i was surprised because there are 
little cuts, like little flashback scenes that show Blacks growing up a little bit uh, before, obviously um, full of violence and abuse. It's not good, but you only mm-hmm. get like like little half second like flashes of what that was before he met White. Yeah, I think there's a lot of. I think it's very much about Matsumoto trying to process some of the trauma of his own growing up, but also he's a very young creator and a lot of the stuff that he's read, he's one of those mangaka, especially at this point where he had read manga, really read manga, a lot of manga. And it, and I think it shows in a lot of different ways. His favorite book he said was Akira, like it changed his whole life and he wanted to draw. And he gave an interview even where he said, you know, Akira made me want to draw, but it also made me, made me make sure I didn't want to draw like Otomo drew. <laughs> I wanted to draw and like beat Otomo and like, you know, come to that next level kind of a thing. And I think that that's very interesting to me because I think the drawing chops in this are awesome. And he, after ping pong, he never draws like this again. His work is still his, but it changes quite a bit. He he does he does go into different styles, which makes him really fascinating, right? Like the mm-hmm. bamboo samurai, which is not yet mm. licensed in English, is almost br- like brush painting, right? Yeah, it's a completely different visual style. And Sunny is com- another completely vis- different visual style. It has like watercolors in it. Yeah. So I I to- I didn't realize it before, but you're right that he really loves the act of drawing. Mm-hmm. And he loves he, he really likes mark mark making. I think is a thing too. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of hatching on a lot of these pages, but it doesn't look like the hatching that was popular in 1993 in North America either. Like it's not Rob Liefeld inked by Chap Yap or whoever. <laughs> Tiny, thin, super little, thin lines. It's like there's a ton of marks on these pages, and it doesn't look like that. It, yeah, I, I see what you mean about like the Bisley uh, Simon Bisley comparison. He said he was really influenced, obviously by Mobius, but. When he was pulling out influences, he said uh, he did the cover of the Tipping Point anthology that Matsumoto is already is also in. uh, uh, Bilal, Enki Bilal. Ah, Uh, yes, yes. Enki Bilal did uh, the Nickelpole trilogy is his biggest one in English. He's uh, but he was a huge heavy metal uh, author. Mm -hmm. Did a lot of stories in heavy metal, and I think heavy metal or metal heron is where a lot of the Bayday that Matsumoto was exposed to, that influenced his style came from, because that would cover the Mobius stuff and things like that. So Metal Herlong, he actually, so Matsumoto sort of famously, just before he started working on Tekon, went to France to cover a soccer game as like a artist correspondent sort of thing and ended up oh, just right. buying a bunch of albums and a bunch of Metal Herlong and came back and obviously it affected his drawings. So. Yeah. so it's interesting. I think we all bounced off of our first Matsumoto here, except for, for Chip, who is, this is his first. And he bounced off of the first 15 pages pretty hard <laughs> due to technical difficulties. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it, It's already a really surrealistic story. So I can only imagine what it felt like reading it out of order. <laughs> <laughs> and I, as I mentioned when I was recommending it, I actually bounced off of this when it was serialized in pulp as well. I don't, like this was, the, this was the serial I skipped and it wasn't until it got its first trade paperback that I read it and I was like, oh, I fucking get it now. This is actually awesome. So yeah. What makes it awesome to you? What makes it awesome to be? I guess I didn't, sorry, I've just talked so much and didn't actually talk about that. I'll try and cut it to the energy. It has, it is about youth, but it is for grownups. It has so much youthful energy that is evident on every on almost every panel of every page it is just like this is the manga where someone is giving it their all you know what i mean and i think that that is 
it makes you want to get on board with them. It's that it's like, even though this is a seinen manga, it's got that shonen fighting spirit. You know what I mean? It's just like, mm-hmm. I'm just going to draw the fuck as best as I can, like as crazy as I can every single time I put a page down. And I, I love that. And it, it also doesn't look like anything. Like even now the people that have been influenced, like it was funny, actually you talking about the different creators who this kind of reminded you of almost all of them are, creators that have been influenced by Matsumoto. So yeah, Corey Lewis or Paul Pope, who's quoted on the back of the book or whomever have taken so much inspiration and not just artistically, but in terms of that drive and that passion of telling a big project and turned it into, turned it into comics. The list of creators who would line up to say nice things about Taya Matsumoto is very long. Is it, is it a case where, you know, like this is not your typical manga that you recommend to someone as their first read you know read right i specifically didn't i specifically didn't i've I've, I've recommended two or i think four other books at this point before i recommended this one on this podcast because i wanted chip to have read a lot of manga before he read black and white just in case he didn't like it and i mean you tried to recommend it i was no no that was down that when you did shoot me down this is actually that time i was going to do ping pong instead Uh, i thought reading black and white first made more sense. That's the other thing. His publication history in North America is really weird just because of how the manga industry was in the 2000s. This was the first book released, but it skipped a bunch of stuff to release his next book, which came out. Uh, Go-Go Monster came out after this, and then number five came out. And Go-Go Monster was released after number five was completed. Number five was... (laughs) uh, I'm getting into story time here again. I'll make this one quick. Number five, (laughs) when it was released after Tech on Kingcrete was number five volume two um of eight was the single worst selling book in business history and so <laughs> wow it uh worse than blue spring <laughs> yeah worse than blue spring number five Whoa. stopped serialization at volume two of eight and never continued until this july it's coming out which is nice but it killed it killed Matsumoto for years we didn't get anything until uh sunny volume one uh almost 10 years later so that was a big deal I interrupted you. I'm sorry, Chip. What did you want to say? Just, just kind of getting back into the story stuff. I was, uh, I was interested in like the bad guys and what mm. their goals were, because it seemed their goals were to create children's amusement parks. Yeah, money, just easier money than dealing drugs, which is super funny. Like, <laughs> just because the main characters are kids who don't have a childhood. Mm. And what the kids are trying to kind of fight against the changing of the city. But that change is to create places for children to have childhood. Mm. Like, like it, it was, well, you it was put it that way, then it seems weird, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's fascinating. Like just the fact that like when, when you're uh, essentially the, the background of this is a gangster story, Yeah, mm-hmm. but the gangster story is to open Disneyland is it a gangster story or is it a Batman story? Well, I is mean, it the, a Batman the, the, story the, where the gangsters are, are the, the gangsters characters that are Batman kind has of to Batman fight against? like, aren't they? Like, they're, yeah. they're pretty car- they're pretty heavily caricatures. Yeah, yeah, but but it's still it's still like a gangster like that's the backdrop to this. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's the same as the guy who wants to sell the youth center to build developments, but with a yeah. theme park twist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like the the, it's a shitty city with yeah. like a lot of shitty things and being turned into uh, the youth center 
(laughs) (laughs) Kind of. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of related to that. One of my favorite gags in the book is when someone's like, holy crap, there's a school in this city. Then like (laughs) like, there's 50 hospitals in this city. He could be at any one of them. Yeah. (laughs) That kind of ties into the whole gangster thing because like the schools don't matter in this world. Like the kids, they have a rough childhood, but I think they have a childhood they kind of enjoy. Like they Mm -hmm. found a balance, you know? Yeah. And so the kitty, um, kitty castle, I keep wanting to call it kitty land, which is something different. Yeah. Uh, Kitty castle. (laughs) comes in and upsets that balance and changes the city away from what they want it to be. But it is like a really striking dichotomy. I think it's the Disneyfication of times square basically. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what it reminded me of where real New Yorkers, real people, really real city dwellers fucking hated it and hate what times square is now. They'll still like, there's still no, there's no one in times square and you can still watch vloggers who live in New York talking about how times square fucking sucks and no one should go near, go through it or near it. And it's like, yeah. there's 15 people there now. There's still a naked cowboy and he's got a mask on, but like you can cut through times square. It's okay. And it's that there's very much that idea, that development yeah. idea, mm-hmm. but it's, it's fine for kids. Like that's the funny part is the yeah. fact that like times square, <laughs> like when I first went to times square in my early twenties and I was like scared and I was like 20, like I can't imagine bringing a kid through Times Square, yeah. and now <laughs> because of the Disneyfication, it's like well, it's like a yeah, it's, it's a kid all the time there. Yeah, yeah, it, it's like it's like kids. But it also like there was a downside to that. Like it pushed a lot of small yeah. businesses out of there. It it dislocated the homeless in a really brutal mm-hmm. kind of a way. No, of course I'm not. I'm not saying it was a good thing, but I'm just saying it's funny that this story is a commentary on that through two children. Who are being stabbed? They don't see themselves as children. They really no, don't. no. But we, the readers, see yeah. them as children, especially yeah. White, yeah, who is like not only a child but like a fairly regressed child who is who finally can finally count to ten and <laughs> and, 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 and you know take a knife like like it's just, it's it's just an interesting thing. That's all. There's yeah. lots of kinds of learning. Some people count to ten. Some people can take a knife. I was just going to say, like, don't get me wrong. Obviously, I love that Times Square has been cleaned up. We got rid of all those (laughs) dirt bags and those peep shows that I hated so much. Don't get me wrong. I'm just think it's interesting in terms of story, David. Mm. And I think (laughs) that stands out to you so much because they do. He does such a good job, like showing White as like a real life child in a way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, like when he goes to school and he's like, Oh, I got a backpack. This is the coolest thing in the world. Planting the apple tree. But yeah. especially early in the book, I forget which chapter now. Um, he's going, going around wearing a common rider belt, which yes. is sort of just yeah. like <laughs> Superman cape of Japan. Mm-hmm. Chip, if you remember the museum we went to with all that awesome stuff, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, where I took a picture sitting next to a guy, that guy's common rider. Okay, he's my yeah. friend. <laughs> now you friend. have to send me that to put that in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, that's going in the show notes. Sure. Yeah. Writer. But even the, the kids writer. are drawn in such like a gangly, awkward way compared to the adults. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you can't help like but feel bad for them, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're not well off kids. Yeah. <laughs> no. I was, I was just going to say, I've got my favorite page uh, of White where he goes, Black, can I ask you something? What? Nighttime is kind of sad time, huh? Because, you know, he thinks about dying and stuff. (laughs) It's such a a perfect kid thing that ties in so well to this world. 
um, that sums up both white and black, even though black doesn't say anything. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, it's, it's really awesome. Their decision-making in concert with each other was really interesting too. Mm-hmm. Like black very much physically protecting white and then white kind of knowing that he needs to protect black, like in a mental way. Yeah. He keeps referring to the fact that he has the screws, like mm-hmm. black has some screws loose and he has the screws. Yeah. yeah. We have each other's screws. <laughs> and there's so many duos in this book. Yes. Dusk and Dawn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Actually, funny funny stuff because we usually go back to uh what was the funniest part i like that that was like sort of like dark funny the one that you just mentioned but my funniest one was when they're when the two the late the couple's in the car and the lady's like i know love is just an illusion created by grief but i want something i can believe in i hate this city taro hanako and they're just about to lean in for a kiss and black throws one of the children to, like into the windshield <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That, I laughed out loud at that one. I had I maybe like glossed right over it the first time I read it, but it was so funny. And it was a callback too to the to Akira, where like you know they're the bike chase and someone goes into a windshield as well. Mm-hmm. Any funny moments that stood out for you in this one? Because I think there is some real funny stuff in this, like real dark humor. I think the time when they go to the bathhouse and then he peeks over the peeks over the <laughs> partition <laughs> to look at the yeah. old lady. Yeah, <laughs> it's like little oh, brats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That is old lady boobs. And yeah. since I, I since I went with you all to an onsen, mm. that's what it's called. I understand that you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> so that I'm bringing a, some of my new expertise to this. That yeah. is a popular plot trope in manga. The, the is, boys yeah. trying to sneak a look into the girls' side of the bathhouse. <laughs> mm-hmm. Of course. Also. I just have to say it's a cento, not an onsen, because it's a, not. Yeah, it's a cento. Ah. I'm sorry. Ah. I'm sorry. You made, you made me look like a fool, Christopher Butcher. <laughs> a cento is like a public bathhouse, whereas like an onsen is like mineral water, and it's supposed to be, you know, like healing and like a resort. A cento that they went to is like a public bathhouse when people didn't have their own bathrooms or baths in their home. Mm. Gotcha. I spent some time in uh, Tokyo for like a month. I rented an apartment. And down the street was a sento. And mm. it was just like that. You go in, there's a little curtains, there's a man's side, there's a wind side, you put your stuff in the locker, you go inside, and there's a mural of Mount Fuji. Yeah. Beautiful. It's very, it's the most Japanese experience. It totally is. <laughs> I wish I went every night. <laughs> so I want to come back to one of the things I was talking about at the beginning, and that is there. If you read this, if you take everything here at face value, up to and including the ending where the Minotaur is a real force, like a like a force external to Black that's inside of him that is like trying to convert him or corrupt him or something like that, then you can read this story as a fantasy. You can absolutely just read it as a straight-ahead fantasy. But there is a story, there's a reading of this book that is, this is all taking place in the heads of the two kids. This is... The idea of two kids on a playground, yeah, putting on their Superman cape or putting on their common Rider belt and having adventures. They think that they're jumping off of buildings and flying through the air and beating up bad guys in real, you know, crazy over the top ways. And you can absolutely read this as this is all fake because when the action does get real, when it involves really real people like the Yakuza, the fight in the first book, the first first third, between Black and the Yakuza, when he bursts through the window and he's just beating people up with a lead pipe and gets kicked in the face and stuff, has a very different energy 
than the other sort of tussles with the other kids or the other street gang members, or even the fights against the sort of three superhuman dudes, uh, Dragon, Tiger, and Butterfly, that snake that the, the bad organization brings in. Like Those superhuman battles do seem over the top. They seem like not realistic. So I've always thought that you could read this as, you know, again, PTSD, or you could read it as this like superhero thing where everything is actually happening the way it says it is. What do you think? I, um, I hate, it was all a dream type twist. Yeah. yeah. Like a fantasy and imagination. Uh, not like disrespecting your reading or anything, but I don't know if it adds anything to the story this time. I think it's more that we're seeing a story through the eyes of kids where this actually is like an elevated reality. Mm. Like, um, to use a relevant example, if Electra slapped Daredevil in like a romantic context, <gasps> that'd be like a very small thing, you know? But yeah. if it was a superhero fight, it would be like jumping over rooftops and blah, 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 blah. But they would both yeah. have the same level of impact. Yeah. And I think in this case, Matsumoto is just like switching between levels of reality rapid fire. Because mm-hmm. uh, in that that fight I, in the against the Yakuza where he throws the bottle, which is one of the best drawings of throwing something I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. There's still a bunch of comic stuff happening. He kicks one guy in the junk and the guy moans danger uh, before he gets stabbed. The guy yells legend of Heisei, which was like the <laughs> the era of Japan back then. Yeah. I think it's very much like a superhero style reality where like there are normal people around and like the cops operate on that level. The Yakuza do for the most part, but it kind of makes sense that like the outside enforcers, the three guys who come in would also mm-hmm. have powers or abilities like black and white. Yeah. Yeah, and I I think also if you if you think of it all as fantasy, then the yakuza's yakuza stuff doesn't make any sense. Like the stuff without the kids, mm-hmm. like uh, Kimura and Snake, that all that stuff. Like like the kids aren't imagining that. The kids aren't imagining that he's going to be a dad and he gets shot dead and like marital strife like that's not that that's not part of the fantasy stuff all the stuff mm. that happens with the kids not on panel like the fantasy stuff works if, it, if the kids were always on the page if we're really seeing everything through them but we we do go back and forth between like adults having kind of adult things that aren't mm-hmm. that aren't taken down to this kid level well, because we- the kids the kids aren't actually like but smart it's, enough. Neither of them are actually <laughs> smart enough to like concoct the, the, that level of fantasy. Black might be, but we're, we're talking Maybe. about when the real world, the Yakuza, the police, that kind of stuff touches mm-hmm. black and white's world. And they don't actually interact very much. It's only after white gets stabbed and sent to the hospital that he ends up with the police. And he has, he seems like an, a weird kid, but he's not doing anything special or weird. He's not flying or bouncing or anything like that. He's just sitting drawing crayon stuff while black yeah. gets more and more fantastical. Uh, and anytime yeah. that the kids do interact, when black and white interact with like real shit, it's very different in tone. You know what I but mean? But there are still, there are still scenes without black and white where the Yakuza and the tiger dragon, I forget the names of the three assassins Mm -hmm. that are commissioned to go murder these two children. Yeah. Like, like that's still a separate thing from them. So pretend that, but pretend that snake and that corporation, like the, the, the dude who gives Kimura the gun and those three assassins are just part of the, like, enhanced black and white reality right like they're the ones who are coming in who are building the treasure town the yakuza are letting them right so like i'm I'm not saying that this is 
even my favorite reading or, or the reading I had first, but reading it this time, and especially with all of the work, almost all of the work that Matsumoto did that followed, mm-hmm. where a lot of these stories are about people that can see things in themselves, people that can't see things in themselves that other people can see in them. And then I don't know that I noticed that quite as much in Tech on King Creed. Even Ping Pong, to a degree, like Smile sees Pekko as his savior, sees him as a superhero coming in to save the day when it's clearly just two kids in a high school gymnasium playing ping pong, like the most mundane thing in the world. But then like it's, it's elevated, it's elevated, it's elevated. And I think just trying to imagine that it actually is the Yakuza story instead of black and white and black and white are these just like insane <laughs> agents of chaos. It's like a kid with a crowbar. Like it's already so weird that may, anyway, maybe it wouldn't make sense, but I think that there's, I think it adds a, a layer to this story that is interesting. And this is my like seven, three reading of it. So maybe this is just the seven, three reading version. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. I, th- I think it's interesting and uh, absolutely wrong. But Deb, Deb, what do you think? Is Chris uh, out to lunch here? It's a fascinating theory, I must say. Um, That's a very nice way of saying you're wrong. (laughs) No, I just didn't. I just didn't think of it that deeply. Um, Mm, Like all kinds of things are going on. I just kind of took it at face value. Um, You know, like this. This is the logic of this this particular universe. Not Mm -hmm. that there's this real reality and this imagined reality. Um, mm. But I think that, that that speaks to this work that you can read it on those levels, right? Or mm. you can read and reread it and see something else in it. Um, yeah, it's, re- it's very interesting. Um, mm. I, I, I just, honestly didn't think of it that deeply. <laughs> yeah, I think because it was so familiar, uh, like the storytelling kind of the tropes, mm. uh, the tropes that Matsumoto was working with, that I didn't need a more like there's like a metaphorical level built in already that's like really satisfying <laughs> to me. Yeah, yeah, okay. Because uh, yeah. it even comes down to like a you know I believe in my friend at the very end, which is like the uh, the power the cord manga. of <laughs> shonen manga. <laughs> I was gonna I say like it. my favorite part at the at the end was when the 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 woman um, who is pregnant with the yakuza's baby, mm. she basically spits out at the end. It's like I will never have a boy. Yeah. Over his it's, dead body. Yeah. <laughs> so brutal. And that is like, such I, I, like a Yakuza movie thing to me of like yeah. the, the spurned wife, spurned lover being like, this is no life for a human being. Yeah. I will never raise so a boy because boys are held. <laughs> but it's also like, it's, it's pretty interesting because like, as far as I can tell, she's the only female character in this. Yeah. Yep. Right. Mm. And so, the, and she doesn't really have any lines until that point where she's just like, fuck men. Yeah, <laughs> which is really interesting because like the whole thing just about like violence and horrible things and you know all these like fights and stuff and then this woman pops up and is like you're all terrible i wouldn't i would i don't even i wouldn't even have a boy mm. like yeah Damn. Does, does he does he uh in his other works obviously because i don't know does he ever write female characters he does, not really in not really until Sunny. Um, mm-hmm. I asked about I asked when I got to interview him. I asked about that, and I was like, "Hey, you don't really have a lot of women in your stories. What's up?" Sunny is the first time where a lot of there are a lot of girl characters. They get interior lives. Their stories sort of move to the forefront of what's happening. It's it's really yeah, it's really noticeable. And he's just like I was. I didn't understand women, and I was terrified of drawing them because I don't know how to draw 
sexy women and that's what the industry wants. So I just told stories about boys and men from my own life. And you start to see a little bit like Go-Go Monster, like Ping Pong actually has a really good, uh, as a decent female character in the owner of the Ping Pong, uh, the off off school Ping Pong club that they play at. Go-Go Monster has no women. Takamatsu Samurai has almost no women. <laughs> yeah, nothing until Sunny actually. And then Sunny is is much better. And he, um, Matsumoto Sensei, is married to another illustrator, uh, Saho, uh, Saho-san, uh, who's an amazing children's book illustrator. I'll put her, I can't remember her last name because I only was introduced to her as Saho. <laughs> amazing, uh, who actually is his assistant, his like co-producer on a lot of his regular work. So his work yeah. has gotten a lot better at both including women as well as depicting them and depicting them in sensitive ways as she has started to work with him. But yeah, if you're looking for strong female characters, you've got about 15 years of Tayamatsumoto manga to get through chronologically before you get to Sunny. So, yeah, that's something for sure. That's something for sure. That's that's rough in this I, one. Yeah, I I can get why he would shy away from it with this particular story because it is a story just like just about violence, really, at yeah. its heart. And you have to have uh, a certain sensibility to to write and draw women getting hit. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Like that's, you know, I mean, and uh, just me even working for like Marvel or DC and having to reconcile myself with stuff like that. Like you have to, you have to kind of do the work to, to kind of, to pull it off um, and building those characters up and uh, being sensitive to it. So it, it, it's hard for me to picture him putting uh, another woman character in this, but mm-hmm. the, the fact that he just has the one, she just really jumps out as being like, I am... I am the woman here, and this is my commentary <laughs> on the situation. You're all and, uh, fucked. I drive, I drive into the sunset, and she's not wrong. That's the other thing. She's not wrong. She's not wrong. Uh, yeah. I think earlier she, pretty much everything she says is like telling her husband not to smoke, to like be a good dad, not to be weird. Yeah. And he's still kind of doing Yakuza stuff. Yeah. And like uh, the punk Yakuza end. stuff too. He's such a... Such a failure. Kimura is a failure. <laughs> I, I I did kind of like just how. Well, I I love the scene where he where he kills Snake. Mm, yeah, that was good. And the, the pacing, the intercutting between the different scenes over those uh, two pages is really beautiful, really elegant because it's like white, like really mm. scribbling on mm-hmm. the page. You get close up into the blackness, mm. um, kind of cut between that and um, black situation as well. Mm-hmm. Just gorgeous stuff. But I really, really loved Kimura when he sees the car and the guys with the guns. And it's just like, it's just like, yep. Yep. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> that last laugh on his way out. Like, yeah, of course. Yeah. He went out exactly yeah, it like confused the me for a bit I'm like, I know it confused me for a bit because I'm like, did he get shot? Because like, it's all very like kind of boring after that. And you're like, oh, and then he slumps on the, uh, on the hood of the car like oh yeah okay mm-hmm. i kind of speaking to the point about the lack of women in this book i thought that scene was fascinating because uh i'm flipping through trying to pull it up now but the way it's staged they make it plain they're not going to shoot his wife mm-hmm. um like the way they drive up kind of where the speed lines are located like matsumoto really kind of controls your eye in that scene in a way that i like a lot hmm. yeah because my first thought was like oh no like this is going to get really sad and it was still sad, but it wasn't, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Different kind of sad. Yeah. So Kimura goes out exactly the way the rat did, where Kimura kills the rat, obviously. 
Mm-hmm. And it's just, oh, Kimura has become the rat style, old style gangster. He followed in his senpai's footsteps in a good way and then just gets accepts his death, I think. Anything he would have done would have endangered his wife, too. So that's probably a redeeming mm-hmm. factor for that character. <laughs> but he is a loser. <laughs> anyway. well, yeah, and him saying, name him Truth. It's like, oh man, too late, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I'd I'd be remiss if I didn't point out that this book continues the manga explaining tradition of presenting me with color pages that I absolutely loathe. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me more. Tell me more. Why? They're so poorly done. They're not thought out. Like, it's bad rendering. Like, it's bad application of paint. Like, there's some, some work there, some shadow stuff that's just abysmal. You're talking about like the sections out there at the beginning of each. So this was originally three books. So at the beginning of each book, I don't know. I think it's absolutely not accomplished, uh, but I also think it's a lot of fun. So I don't mind it too much. I, there is one good joke with the color, the blue page 220. Yeah. When he turns blue, when she says my period's late. (laughs) Yeah. That was, that was the only time where I was like, okay, this justifies the color. But then, but then like at the bottom of that page, with them in the bed like it's a huge bed it even it it, it like it's almost like someone different even drew that page like it's Mm. bad it's a bad drawing of the bed and the folds and the and and the characters like uh, in that page are just poof poof and the page after that it's listed here for me as 220 Mm -hmm. oh sorry i guess the page before it uh the the rendering on the skin is just like like grade nine grade ten like yeah, kind of painting skills yeah <laughs> like 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 look at his face in the second panel where he says you smoke too much like what have they done there with the <laughs> <laughs> I can the say cheek. it probably wasn't very good in the original he was probably learning although his color work now is truly sensational he has learned to paint yeah. And okay. his his wife is an amazing, amazing painter uh, as well. But uh, straight up, huh, here's here's a real inside baseball one. I organized an art show of this art. So I have a lot of high-res scans. And the color pages are printed in this book at, three, at 200 DPI, I think. Whereas the rest of the book, the black and white's printed at 600. Because who would ever want higher color pages than that? So it does suffer a little bit here and in the digital edition from the quality of the original scans uh, that are available to Viz on this one. So please, you know, go man. It's it's too bad because uh, we were we were doing some some fun printing on that material as well. Yeah, there you go. I think uh, if, I think there was an anniversary edition of this in Japan, or there's about to be. So maybe Viz's new printing or new edition. Uh, well, this is also flipped too, and then Viz doesn't do flipped manga anymore. It's a really interesting book in that regard. As an outreach book, is it's still flipped? It's still in the North American reading orientation. In the Japanese version, is it? It's it's printed at Japanese order, right? Yeah, yeah. There, you can see panels in here that have been flipped. Mm. Was this was this a case where they they just completely flipped the whole pages, or they did selective flipping? Like uh, selective for sure. There's there was one early on that I was looking at. I can't turn off my editor head when I read this, uh, in part because like it <laughs> oh, do tell. my job. I'm just looking at like font choices and like safety and things like that. But there's a couple of pages where you can see um, either Black's scar or the blood on his face change his side. Yeah. Oh no! Like there's a, there's a scene where White reminds him to wipe it off. You can find that scene a couple pages before that is when it's on the opposite side. Oh wow! Um, but you don't really notice in the reading, I don't think, 
you know, I noticed because I'm a weirdo, like it's, it's part of my job is noticing things <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, of course. But it's so fast. It'll be like one panel where it's on one side, then another panel on the other side. And if you aren't really paying attention and it doesn't quite make sense. So I've got my um, black action figure here. Uh, you can't see because oh, yeah. uh, this isn't video yet. Although if you're seeing mm-hmm. the video um, and I'm looking at it and yeah, it's the regular side it's on is the wrong side in this because it has been regularly flipped. And I think the ones where it appears on the opposite side, like, oh yeah, here in this side, this side thing here um, on page 312, it's numbered 312. It's on his, it's over his right, uh, his left eye. But then on the next page, it's on his, uh, it's on his, or it's on his right eye and then it's on his left eye. And I think that that's just, yeah, the flipping. Oh. Um, some of the pages couldn't be flipped and still make reading order because it. Yeah, I noticed the, a lot uh, of the balloons books. were placed better than if they were flipped, or yeah. than if they weren't flipped for English reading. So it's kind of like face then balloon rather than balloon then face. It's interesting because this book says some scenes have been modified from the original Japanese edition, which isn't at the front of a lot of manga, actually. Uh, and mm. I think that that was very specifically because they cut and pasted some of the pages. I was mm. wondering about that. but cutting Is the French edition the like this as well? Uh, the French edition is flipped or is the unflipped version. The original edition, French edition was flipped, uh, but it's been through multiple reprintings in France, more even more than North okay. America. This was huge when I came out in France, by the way. Uh, this was huge, huge when I came out in France. He was. Do tell why? Why with that? It's it's a mix of Japanese and French styles. Mm. It not only gives credibility to French art in the eyes of people who really value manga in a big way, but also mm. people sometimes like seeing their culture reflected back at them through different eyes. And this is very. There aren't a lot of examples of Japanese creators of manga creators importing or you know being influenced by french comics and then making their own work so this was massively huge all of all of matsumoto's work has been printed in france whereas a number of key works haven't been translated or released in uh, in north america in english in fact the, the few stragglers that weren't printed uh, when matsumoto was a guest of angoulême a couple of years ago Companies just snapped up the rights just because having him at the show and having a book debut by him at the show that had never been in print before guaranteed high sales. So, nice. yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's nice when you're big in France. It's nice when you're big in <laughs> France. It doesn't always translate to North America, though. <laughs> a million billion stories about this book and Matsumoto Sensei aside that I didn't <laughs> get to. Why don't we? Sorry, there's a there's a bonus episode. Yeah, there's a bonus. Pick another Matsumoto books. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I true. wanted to get to get to some final thoughts. I'm uh, talking about an hour of recording time. Who knows how long that actually is on the podcast? Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's go through some final thoughts, and we'll give uh, Chip the last word. So let's start with Deb. Deb, final thoughts on Tech on Concrete. I got to say, it was Tech on Concrete is something that's worth that was interesting to revisit. Because I think mm. when I read it the first time, I had a certain mindset about what manga was like mm. and what I what I thought the story was about. Rereading it again and knowing more of his other work, I can see it with different eyes. Mm. I I still I still find this in some ways a difficult read visually, mm-hmm. but I appreciate the energy and I I also appreciate the fact that it is a look that is very distinctly his. It's a pers- it's a it's a perspective on storytelling that's very distinctly his, but it, it's just, it's an interesting focus on what it means to be a guy. Yeah, <laughs> like different wow, people, okay, I've never seen masculinity talked about 
you know, depicted in this way. Yeah, this is basically what we go through. Thanks, <laughs> uh, mm, thank you, Deb. David, final thoughts. Uh, so there's a lot in here that I like as a critic, as an editor. I think like the duo thing is really strong. The animal familiars kind of peppered throughout the book are really cool, especially when, like, when they talk or make noise along with the characters they represent. But the violence was really good in this book, like some really heartfelt, like, <laughs> bangerang action scenes, I guess. <laughs> like there's a page, page 175, when Black is fighting the Yakuza, and he smiles with the guy's tongue on his, or the guy's earlobe on his tongue. Yeah. yeah. yeah that is like the kind of like... deranged thing I'd love to see in action manga. Uh, <laughs> everything where he's just using like a giant pipe. But most of all, kind of dialing back to what Chip was saying about enjoying drawing things. Like as a kid of superhero comics, one of my favorite things is seeing heroes jump over the skyline of New York City. Mm-hmm. And I think this book has a lot of uh, drawings that are like that same kind of Frank Miller, Todd McFarlane. I think even Walt Simonson with Thor in the 80s kind of quality where it's like, oh, this is a real place. Like this place looks awesome, even though horrible things happen constantly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we, we talk a lot about, you know, settings as character. Mm-hmm. And this is like the ultimate version of that. Like it, the characters in the city are so well integrated and the style works so well to, uh, to make that city feel like it's, it's a very distinct character in the story. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, like we we're saying, like it, it, it comes down to his clear love of drawing. Mm-hmm. Like as an, as an artist, I, I, I adore this. Like I think I think it's a beautiful, gorgeous book, and I also think it's one of those ones where, you know, it was like six hundred pages or something. So I'm yeah. not going to be hitting it again anytime soon. But it's <laughs> it's 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 one of the ones that I I'll probably pick up the physical version uh, when one day when I finally have a home again because it's 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 definitely worth revisiting. Mm-hmm. Like especially especially now because like you know not that I sped through it but you know with these kind of weekly deadlines and I'm like, Oh geez, this is 600 pages. Okay. Like I'm, I'm maybe not, I'm not dwelling on, on the pages as much as I, I probably should have. And by the time I hit the end, I'm like, Oh, I think there are a lot in here that I, I needed to pay more attention to as I was going through. <laughs> mm-hmm. Partly the fact that I misread the first 15 pages. <laughs> 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 that's that's one of the signs but yeah I, th- I think it's a, i think it's a great book i don't think it's definitely not the first book i would recommend to somebody getting into manga mm-hmm. but it is maybe the first book i would recommend comic artist read oh really i can take that yeah that yeah. makes total yeah. sense to me yeah because it's, it's it's so distinct and interesting and well done and an example of what comics can and probably should do more of mm-hmm. I think I think all my comic artist friends if they haven't read it would be super into it hmm. I can't help but agree with that I think it's the kind of book that I talked about this a lot when I started blogging and uh, made a lot of friends in the industry because of that a lot of comic artists comic creators really love this one as well it's so idiosyncratic it's so personal it's so so unique to him and made a lot of people lifelong matsumoto fans which is really really cool my final thoughts are yeah maybe if we ever have a patreon i'll I'll do a bonus episode where it's just like here's some tayo matsumoto thoughts here we go but on this i loved this reread i actually loved rereading it It made me sad in a different way 
Mm. I'm in a different part of my life than I was uh, with the giddy first or like third or fourth readings of this one. I think the last time I reread it all the way through was when Matsumoto came to Toronto for TCAF in 2013. So I would have read it in end of 2012, beginning of 2013 again. The other big thing I wanted to I wanted to mention is that this is based on a real place that I didn't know the first couple times I read it or even when I watched the movie. It's uh, based okay. on a neighborhood in Osaka called Shinsekai. Uh, which literally translates to the new world or new world. And it was sort of a planned community in the South end of Osaka where they were going to like make it more of an attraction, but a grown up playground. So all kinds of stuff like that. And there was a big redevelopment of Shinsekai that ultimately has proved to slightly fail. (laughs) Actually that happened around the time that this book came out. And I didn't really know any of this at the time. It's kind of like finding out, Last week that Domu was built based on a real apartment building or uh, Helter Skelter was based on had all those real people in it, uh, which I didn't really get the first time I read Helter Skelter either. Mm -hmm. And uh, having been to Shinsekai now and seen the big development, which is actually a bathhouse theme park called Spa World. Uh, So Spa World in Osaka is an eight story multi bath bathhouse that you like ride around, which is really interesting we should all go man. sometime we should go like, <laughs> next time we go let's all go on a kansai tour yeah let's do kansai. i don't know man <laughs> it's a bathhouse as my friend said it's the only time i've ridden an elevator while naked and it was really weird and i was like yeah yeah there you go <laughs> yeah that would be so i actually took my dad when we went to japan just before we went with you guys i took my dad to, to that neighborhood and he's like a little rougher than the other stuff we've been to on i was like yeah it is actually and he's like i still don't really feel unsafe but you can really tell you can really tell it's different and i'm like yeah it is and trying to imagine that counter like with you know uh, low-level gangsters running around and whatever like it's it's all done now it's all been all of that kind of not all of it but a lot of that kind of crime and that kind of stuff is is not in that area anymore and it's You're getting to see how that's changed getting to see the times squareification the disneyfication of shinsekai which failed uh, in the end in a you're, way that you're, I, you're I like thinking of your dad just being like and who are those kids jumping around from rooftop to rooftop? Where are don't their make, parents? Don't make eye contact. They will fuck you up with a lead pipe. It failed because they kept beating up contractors. Yeah, right? <laughs> They're anti-gentrification forces. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and Chris was like, don't, don't worry, Dad. They're living a, a fantasy life, which doesn't make any sense technically. But technically. trust me. All right, so that was Tech on King Creed. After the break, we're going to talk about, well, we're going to talk about all kinds of stuff. Stick around. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back. Hopefully that was a short break and not an advertisement for something you didn't want to listen to. Chip, apparently we got questions on Twitter because you put out a call for questions on Twitter. David, you put out a call for questions on Twitter. David did it. Yeah. Oh, David did. I don't like to interact with people. That's fair. That's fair. So I guess 
maybe then David should read us the first question we got. David, do you want to read the question? Yeah. Uh, so this I thought I was reading it. No, you. I, did, I thought it was you who got the question. So get fucked. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this question comes from Osoha at Carol Osoha on Twitter. Dear Mon Gang, which I get that it's manga plus gang, but it like doesn't quite work for us. But we'll we'll workshop it. Uh, what happens to the original pages once they're sent to the publisher? Do artists get to keep them? Does the studio own and store them, or are they shredded like some unwanted byproduct of a larger industry goal? Have a great day. That's a very good question. North American Comics used to, the company used to just keep the artwork until there was like a legal ruling that said, actually, no, the artists still own it, even if the company have it. But a lot of that art from the Golden Age of Comics, the Silver Age Comics got shredded. Some of it was just given away as prizes. And there are a lot of people my age and older who are like, man, I wish I had taken that Marvel Comics (laughs) building tour when I was offered it, because who knows, I might have got a Kirby original uh, just because they were giving away to anyone who was getting a tour of the building. So, yeah. Japan is a little different, thankfully. Back when everyone still did original pages, I can say you sent it into the publisher. Uh, in this case, I went to the ShogakuCon offices. They're Matsumoto Sensei's publisher. And when I was running an art show for them as part of TCAF, they wanted me to come to the office to show the artwork so we could all see that what the artwork was and that I was taking the artwork back to back to North America for the show. So they had they apparently at the offices have these huge rooms that are just filled with boxes of pages of manga. And if you're a top star, you can just have your manga kept at these safe rooms with like temperature control and all that kind of stuff. And so they brought me sort of beautifully wrapped in like tissue paper or maybe rice paper even that was stickered. And we sort of opened it and it was just all of the pages I had asked for across 30 volumes of or 20 volumes of Taiyo Matsumoto manga. And I just got to like touch and lift and move page after page. He didn't want to keep any of his manga or any of his art at his house because he's like, Oh, I move and oh, I don't really care. The company can keep it. They're offering it to me anyway, uh, whatever. So yeah, in general, especially if you're working with a publisher for a long time, you still technically own your art, but it lives with the publisher. Uh, the publisher also owns all the digital rights to the scans of your work. So, for example, if I'm a publisher and I want to license a manga from, let's say, a publisher in Japan, the artist can say, yeah, go ahead, even if they don't work with that publisher anymore, and I can get you know, I can get the rights. But the publisher owns the scans that they did of all those pages. So my options are to get all of the original art and rescan it or work out a deal with the original publisher, usually for money for for film for for files costs. But sometimes the relationship between the manga publisher and the manga creator has soured to the point that the digital scans that they took are not available at any price. So I was actually tangentially involved in a rescanning process. I won't say what publisher or what creator, because I think they've made up subsequently and I want to reopen old wounds. It's not Matsumoto Sensei. Was it Jack Kirby? It was Jack Kirby, uh, Jack Kirby's little known manga project. So yeah, generally the artist still owns all the work. Generally, if you're an artist who's working with a publisher for a long time, the publisher will just store it for you because pages and pages and pages tend to add up over a while. And you can request your artwork back at any time. But it's kind of different than here. The North America, like Chip, if someone wanted to do an art show of your originals, they would contact you and you'd be like, yeah, I've got some or the Beguiling has some or whoever has the originals has them. But in North America, the artist is so busy working on manga that all of the communications go through the publisher. So if you want to borrow that artist's work, you actually have to ask the publisher for it. They've just become a de facto agent 
for the uh, for the creators in, in question. So, so, so follow up question. Yeah, yeah. What about original art sales? Doesn't happen. Not, you sell your really. art at the end of your career. Yeah, this is this is something that's really interesting. Deb, have you had a lot of experience with this? Because I've had a couple of really awkward conversations about original art sales that I think are... Um, <laughs> I have been to Jimbo Cho and I have mm. seen like original Leiji Matsumoto sketches and Maru Suihiro books, you know, mm-hmm. that I thought, wow, you know, I, you could buy it. It was like a couple hundred bucks, but the, the, it's quite rare. If you go to Mandarake, you will probably can go many times and never see an original page by an artist you recognize. Mm-hmm. It's quite unusual I, I think the two stories i have about the original pages show kind of this the dime the the difference right mm-hmm. one side is michael gombos from dark horse told me the story about going to visit clamp and mm-hmm. that all their pages were in this vault that they had like you had to put like a fingerprint scan or something ridiculous <laughs> like a retina scan to get into it like it was hardcore then the other story was about yoshihara suge who the mm-hmm. the artist that i guess he's kind of like Oh God! What was he? He's kind of like a, a one of the t- premier indie comics underground, almost Japanese underground comics. Yeah, Dean mm-hmm. Q's publishing him now. So he had a big show of his work in Japan, and I'm sorry, in Angloem last year mm-hmm. when we went. And apparently, that's the first time there's been a show of that much of his work. Um, mm-hmm. I was talking to his son, and he said he ha- he had spent a fair amount of time going through the piles of pages in the house. And when he started going through them, the little pieces of typesetting flittered off the page. (laughs) So he had to repaste them on painstakingly for apparently months. Cause I talked, there was another woman there. She goes, yeah, I helped him. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of that art was, yeah, 40, 50 years old. Glue breaks down. Actually, the Matsumoto originals I held from Tech on Kingcrete, uh, the lettering had been uh, printed out, actually, but cut out all, all basically out of just bond paper and then like glued to the page and all the glue had worn off. So a lot of that stuff uh, had broken as well. And we like some of it got lost and he was just like, oh, I don't care. It was it was <laughs> printer paper from 30 years ago. Like, I don't care. And me as an art person was just like, this is awful. But yeah, people treat their art. It's it's very taboo. Uh, if you're a working artist, it is somewhat taboo to sell your manga pages while you're still working. It used to be something that you would do at the end of a career or never, like you would give them away sometimes. But a lot of the time, if you see a part page for sale, it's by someone who was a very popular artist or who was a who was an artist who got published, who's maybe fallen on hard times. So a lot of this, the art that we would see in Jimbo Cho at the uh, Nakano store, the, or the store that's called Nakano, the one that's on the second floor there, a lot of those artists, they're either posthumous sales, like you know, dude died and his family selling his stuff off or uh, they fall in on hard times and they need, you know, you got to make rent. So you're selling off your pages. It's, it's a little bit sad, but uh, it's started to change quite a bit over the last couple of years as artists have started to see how things are done in other countries. Japanese artists are traveling to conventions more in Europe and North America. And um, I know Tagame has an art dealer that deals with his prints and originals. I know that uh, Furuya Usumaru, who came to TCAF, actually visited his art show. In I, I remember what, seeing that show. It was really it was really great. He had Beautiful. pages everywhere. And we bought, uh, sorry, I couldn't afford anything. His cheapest page, I think, was $800. And it was out of my Japan travel budget. Some artists just didn't, like, it's... If you're someone who produces 
60 pages of manga a month, even if you're working on like, you know, marker layout paper or something like really, really, really thin paper. After doing 60 pages of manga a month for 10 years, you've just got too much stuff. So I've encountered mangaka who've been like, oh, I just threw it all away. Like, what am I going to do with all this fucking art? Like, it's it was taking over every room, every corner of my house. And I have to live in Tokyo. I can't have a big house. Like, my little apartment was full of art that I had to just throw away. So, like, the first four or five years, I just threw it all away. I kept this story, though. I literally liked that one. I'm just like, are you fucking crazy? I, I, I relate to it. <laughs> I've thrown out a ton of my art. Oh my God. You're killing all of your fans who are listening to this right now. No, just, I mean, there's, there's, there's stuff I like, there's stuff I don't like. Mm. And I, I, I produce, I produce enough of it that, you know, if a, if a fan wants an original page, it could get an original page mm. that is of decent quality. And my one-off illustrations, I'm just like, well, I don't, I don't, this is a drawing of uh, of a guy throwing a boomerang <laughs> for uh, for a financial illustration, and yeah. on the boomerang it says commerce. <laughs> <laughs> That's not actually mine. It's actually Cake in the Clouds. But I'd love to use it <laughs> as an example. But you know, I mean, no one's going to buy it one for one, mm. and two, I don't like it. So why would I hold on to it? Mm. I guess if you don't hold any affection for it, it's fine. But like, if I was producing that much uh, manga, if I was yeah. doing like sixty pages a month, like I would be throwing out uh, most of it, probably. That's crazy to me because it's just well. Sorry, that that creator was informed by one of their colleagues. You should not do that. You should at least save it for retirement. Like it's not that cheap to rent a storage unit. <laughs> or here's here's the card of my agent. They'll take care of this for you. They'll show up once a month, take all of your art away, <laughs> so that you can have your room back. I mean, the, the the weird thing is though, like if you have too much of it, then it all gets devalued. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're if you're that famous though that you know you make it all. I don't. There are probably there are a million people who want a page. There are a million people in the world who want a page of Matsumoto art. He yeah. has only ever sold one piece, and it's. Um, I don't know if it's actually in the digital copy, but if you take the dust jacket off of Tech on Kingcrete, there's an illustration printed on the inside of the dust jacket. He sold that for relief the three eleven March eleventh tsunami relief. He auctioned it off, and it went for something like three to five thousand dollars. I can't remember exactly what it was now. And it's this pastels piece. You could, you know, nice. done. Oh yeah, he's, he's much better, like I said. But it's a pastel piece, and yeah, it's it's the kind of thing where he he sold it for for relief, but he's never sold any of his pages. But also, he has sort of the same feeling about them that you do. Maybe I think he's just saving them for retirement. Like when he's well and truly done making comics, when he's done making manga, that 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 bin's gonna get shipped off to the uh, to the art dealer, and he'll do this and call it a day. <laughs> Yeah. I will say yeah. that they sell Genga now. So that if you do love the look of original comics pages, they do sell reproduction pages that look very mm. much like the originals where you can see the white out and the and the and mm-hmm. the pasted um text. I can mm-hmm. I remember talking with um like you know Keiko Takemiya, she's an artist and she also she was a professor at Kyoto Seika University where they have a big manga mm-hmm. uh, history program. Is that they they saw this demand for art to be in exhibit exhibits, but a lot of the art is very fragile, mm-hmm. and or a lot of artists don't want it to be taken out of their sight. So what they did was they started making these very high resolution reproduction. You know, like they would photograph it so you could see every bit of it. 
kind of like the mm-hmm. the large uh, like artist edition artist edition yeah yeah and so um like there's a there's a lone wolf and cub artist edition like that right from dark horse where you can yeah. see every bit and it's then, actually g clay printing six inks mm-hmm. it's really really nice it's very nice so i think was the other one was um the other example is uh naoki urasawa mm. i saw the big retrospective exhibit of his in japan and there was a whole showcase of just all his super rough pencil sketches yeah for like an entire chapter Mm. it's like and they're just barely squiggles but you can recognize oh i remember that scene yeah yeah it's like oh my god you kept everything when you get to a certain level of fame even your pencil squiggles make it into a museum i guess so (laughs) <laughs> your your boomerang your boomerang illustrations could be famous one day. I was chip, say, you never so know. Chip, you, you know, you just basically <laughs> blew it for the Chip Zdarsky amazing <laughs> retrospective exhibit. Oh well, oh well. <laughs> he, he had he had his he had his sketchbooks from when he was in fifth grade yeah, on display. Like this is a hoarder. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say I don't have a shelf of my sketchbooks from age. 10 through 19 directly behind me on the other side where the camera isn't pointing, but I'm not saying I don't have it either. <laughs> anyway, thank you very much, Osoha, uh, for that question. The, the short answer is they own it, but they don't always have it, uh, but they can get it whenever they want to, theoretically. Uh, thank you very much. And now, and now I'm very excited to announce it's time to pick another book. It has, in fact, been three months or three, not three months. It's been, I was going to say three episodes, but it's been four episodes since our last It's Time to Pick New Books for Chip to Read. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited about this because we're nine episodes and we're nine volumes of manga in. I think we've got a better understanding of Chip's tastes. A little bit better, maybe. We'll see. He made such a face just then. (laughs) You don't understand me. No one understands me. No one understands me. So let's do, and this is, again, we've settled on the fact that we're not going to let Chip vote on it. We're going to do them all. We're just going to do them all. We just have to make sure we're picking really good books. So I'll pick the order. Here is Deb. Well, sorry, Deb, what is your pick for the next book you think that Chip should read? Okay, so everyone talks about Junji Ito as like the horror manga artist that you should be reading. Mm. Um, and that, while you should be reading Junji Ito, I think that's just a little too easy. So I'm going to recommend that you check out Strange Tale of Panorama Island by Maruro Suihiro. Whoa. Okay. It is a one volume thing. It's an adaptation of a horror story by Edogawa Rampo, who is kind of like the Edgar Allan, kind of like the horror uh, author of Japan. Um, okay. It's beautifully drawn and it's incredibly creepy. It's also, um, Maruo Suhiro is kind of well known for his very grotesque, gory artwork that is also mm-hmm. exquisitely drawn. This is a little bit on the mild side. <laughs> He's mm. done some really like, like Out beyond there. the pale horror Out stuff. There. But this is, I think this is an easier, an easier read. I also want to say that this is the first book that we've had recommended that is not available digitally. Mm. So it's from last gasp. It's from last gasp. It's from a smaller publisher. You're going to have to physically order this book to arrive at your dwelling. I'm so sorry. Should I, should I not have done? No, 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 no. This is bound to happen. It's okay. I can send you mine. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay. All right. 
so that, may, that leads us to David. What is your choice yeah. for the next book? Uh, I'm going to keep it short and sweet. Naruto is one of the most popular manga of like the last 20 years. It's a story of a young ninja boy in a village full of ninjas who everybody hates because he sucks and is annoying. But he has a secret <laughs> destiny and incredible powers, and he sort of becomes a hero over the course of the story. Mm. But it's aimed at kids to teen boys, so it's like very, it's like pure shonen manga. It's sort of an exemplar of the genre. But it's really important comics, I think, and I'm interested to see what you have to say about it. So, sorry, is that Naruto? Yes. Naruto. Okay. All right. I'm familiar. I know. Mm-hmm. I don't know much about it. I, I can. You know about I, the running the your back thing. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I get that. Okay. Uh, All right. Fabulous. I'm excited to hear what, what your first read of this is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How many? How many volumes is it? Uh, so there's like <laughs> 70 volumes, but we're just going to do the first. Okay. All right. <laughs> Very good. And and Christopher. I am going to go back to since other since things we've already recommended are back on the table. I'm actually going to go and go back to Paradise Kiss by Ayazawa. This is the Tokyo Pop edition. It's now available in a all-in-one edition from Kodansha. It is about art school kids being very art school kids, uh, people in their sort of mid to late teens being fabulous. It is uh, deeply inspired by the film Velvet Goldmine, which I actually referenced. We just I, we just did in the real world, we just released episode four. We released Helter Skelter. It it reminded me a lot of Vel- Velvet Goldmine. I was like, oh, I really should get Chip to read Paradise Kiss because it was really important to me when I read it. And I haven't actually read it since it first came out uh, maybe 14, 15 years ago. So I'm excited okay. to reread this one. Yeah. It's got a heartless bisexual lead. And that seems like something we can all get on board with. <laughs> <laughs> I've had my heart broken enough, actually. <laughs> nice. <laughs> You got me with heartless bisexual lead. You're getting better at selling me books, Chris. I'm trying hard. I'm trying so <laughs> yeah. hard. So I, I, I'm going to say, Chris, you're you're my number one pick. Mm, thank Naruto you. is uh, uh, number two because I'm 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 interested in mm. tackling something that's actually in the zeitgeist popular. Yeah, yeah. Ten uh, years ago. Well, it's I mean, still, still it, passed, it passed me by, and I, I I recognize the title. Yeah, fair. fair enough. And Deb, I'm afraid to say you pulled a bit of a Chris this time. You didn't really explain what the story was. Sorry. Just that it's a, a based on a thing by Japan's Edgar Allan Poe. But the, the you also were smart because you did show the cover, which looks lovely. Mm. So uh, I'm not kicking you to the curb. <laughs> You'll just be third, which also works out well, since I'm going to have to order a goddamn physical copy I'm of it. I'm sorry, I didn't think of that. <laughs> I mean, originally I was going to. I was originally I was thinking about doing um, children of oh, the in your pocket, so we can surprise them. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't oh, let yeah. them know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Don't let them get ahead. So All yeah, right. that means our next batch of books are. From this episode onwards, this was Tech on Kingcrete. Next week, next week when you're listening to this, you'll be listening to Full Metal Alchemist, uh, Volume One, and then after that, it's Oishinbo, B Stars, Volume One, Paradise Kiss Complete Edition. Originally five volumes, now one big volume. So I don't know. You got some reading ahead of you. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. <laughs> Naruto Volume One and Panorama Island uh, by Suihiro Maro. So that's a lot of. Uh, we're a couple of weeks ahead now. You should have lots of time to uh, to read. And we also are going to do. I think we can we can say we've also 
theoretically already released uh, Way of the House Husband as a special episode in between in between Yotsuba and Seven Billion Needles um, because we wanted to time it with the release of the Netflix anime. We just talked about that today. We're going to do it. Hopefully that actually happens or David's going to have to edit all this out. Sorry, David. All right. You know, you're going to and then you're going to have to do Beastars because Beastars new season is coming out, too. Oh, Jeez. yeah. Beastars. So, yeah, I think that's all. We've got to say we're going we're gonna to skip shoutouts this week because this episode's already pretty long. I'd like to thank my co-hosts, Chip, David, and Deb, for being here today to <laughs> talk about one of my favorite manga. I really had a nice time. Yeah, we'll see you all next time. Bye-bye, everybody. This has been Manga Splaining, episode number 10, Tech on King Creed by Tao Matsumoto. Thanks for listening. For our next episode, we'll be discussing the manga Full Metal Alchemist by Hiromu Arakawa. Want to pick up a copy? Consider supporting your local comic book and manga specialty shop. You can find one near you at comicshoplocator.com. You can also follow along with our complete reading list and show notes at mangasplaining.com. Thanks to DADS for their musical accompaniment this episode. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.